Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Our, our scripture this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come to Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating their food with unclean hands. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you so much, Marilyn. <clears throat> Would y'all pray with me? Holy God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, so that whether it's because of me or even in spite of me, it would still be your word that is faithfully proclaimed and your name that is glorified. Amen. Um, one of my favorite stories that I know I've told in this room before, but it's just so good, is about a religious community that started up in a land far, far away a long time ago. There was a monk who sat by a tree to begin praying. And he sat down, he made his body still, he closed his eyes and started just taking simple breaths to ground himself in the place. As he was just getting into his sort of meditative state, right when he was beginning to feel really attuned to the world around him, he felt a soft rub against his leg. Pulled him from his prayer and he looked down and saw a cat rubbing itself against his leg. And he sort of petted for a second and then shooted away. This wasn't the time for the cat, this was the time for prayer. And so he shooed the cat away, and the cat seemed to meander off and do its own thing, and so the monk sat back down and started to pray again. And just as soon as he was settling into his time of prayer, he felt the same nudge on the side of his leg. Those of you who are cat owners know exactly what this feels like. 
maybe even in your cat would jump into your lap or maybe do that thing where they like stand right in front of your face uh, without doing anything but just breathing right here like I don't know what that's about but whatever that thing is but the cat came back up and disturbed him from his prayer again and so he shooed him away and it was a they happened many times and the monk out of frustration and irritation because what he had sat down to do was to pray <clears throat> he found a string and he just had a really loose little collar for the cat and tied it to a branch nearby, but not close enough that it could rub itself against him, and he sat down to pray. And that gave him the peace that he needed. And so he sat there for hours and prayed, and that became his rhythm. That cat, every single day when the monk would go out to pray under the same tree, the cat would come up and begin to rub itself against his leg, and the monk would get irritated the same way, and then the same rhythm would happen where he'd tie a little collar for the, the cat and then tie it to a branch, and then as soon as the prayer was over, he'd untie the cat from the collar and let it go, and everything was fine. And eventually, other monks started to notice how powerful and how, how just spiritually grounded this man seemed to be. He seemed to be connected with God. He seemed to be very present, more present than many of the other monks as a part of this uh, a part of this Adi. And so other monks started wanting to learn from him. And so they, they really just started trying to mimic his, his actions in his prayer life. <clears throat> so some of the first monks saw immediately what they needed to do was to find a cat. <laughs> so that they could tie it close by to a tree while they prayed. <clears throat> and then they settled into their prayer life. And they, too, just because of being close to him and maybe performing this ritual, who knows, they started feeling more and more grounded and more and more spiritual. More and more people started to notice how incredibly profound these Hmong spiritual lives were. And so they actually ended up starting their own, their own Abbey. And... The rules for the abbey were that you had to have a, a cat as a sort of a sort of familiar, a prayer tool, a prayer cat, not to sit in your lap, but to hold at a distance so that you could sit and be present with with God. And, you know, this story, like all fables, sort of snowballs from there, where eventually you end up with a long systemic theology on why cats are the foundational tool for prayer life that everyone needs to use in order to be close to God, right? Like, but that's how it happens. If you were to ask that monk who essentially started a new order around cats, why he tied the cat up during his prayer time, it would have nothing to do with the cat and had everything to do with the fact that that cat itself was a distraction. So many of our traditions in the church and beyond the church start from little things like that little habits that sort of snowball into something that becomes a larger program. I remember one of my first weeks here, I, uh, I can't remember what it was now, I put candles in the wrong closet. <clears throat> and someone, I, yeah, Charles is very upset with me. <laughs> I put candles in the wrong closet, and I had because of that, had multiple conversations with people who were trying to be kind to me as the new pastor say, oh, is this where they belong now? (laughs) 
has nothing to do with where they belong now. I'm not trying to start some new program. I just put them away without thinking about the fact that there may already be a spot. It's these sort of things that become problematic, right? I got in trouble at a former church that I won't mention, but it's just about a mile and a half down the road. Um, <laughs> because uh, at, a, at Palm Sunday service, we were talking about celebration, and we, uh, we figured that palm leaves didn't mean anything in the 21st century in Decatur, Georgia, or wherever that church was. Uh, palm branches didn't mean anything in Decatur, Georgia, so we decided to use like the norms of celebration now. And so we got some balloons and some bubbles. Everybody had bubbles to blow. It was absolutely beautiful, but I made the massive mistake of inviting people to blow their bubbles just before going through the communion liturgy. And who boy, it was a mistake of mine to blow bubbles over the altar because this table is too sacred for little soapy balls of joy to float down over them. It gets more nefarious, right? Like, it's because of stupid, small decisions over time that we end up in a place where, like, now, I don't know if you've been watching the news about the, our brothers and sisters in the Southern Baptist Convention. We get into rhythms where we feel like we, one decision was made, and then it gets affirmed, and then suddenly that becomes the norm, and then in order to walk forward, in order to transcend, in order to continue to follow the Spirit, it takes massive committee meetings to debate over whether or not women are allowed to speak in a worship service. We in the Methodist Church are certainly not immune to that. We continue to debate year after year after year about the validity of our sisters and brothers' marriages who are LGBTQ or whether or not folks who are LGBTQ can stand where I'm standing and say things to people. It's wild, right? And it all is based on, I think, our attempt to do what's right in Scripture and to adhere to our traditions and to follow reasonably what our faith might teach us and try to experience the Spirit. But all of it is rooted in this sort of complex weave of healthy and unhealthy traditions, healthy and unhealthy habits, healthy and unhealthy relationships. And because all of us have our worth tied into each of these small things, they become so big. And then when someone, someone who I don't know tells me that they want to be valued in a way that I don't understand, it breaks my categories. And what do we do? We resist. That's our first move is to resist any new information, new experience, new belief. It's all so complicated. I was really grateful, Matt. Uh, Matt sent me an article that he didn't know was divinely inspired, but I'm grateful for it. In Nature Magazine, a group of researchers compiled data from years and years and years of social surveys uh, around the perceived deterioration of the moral fabric of our communities. 
And what's really interesting in the research is that you can see people in every generation have said that society's morality is decaying. And it's always the generation that just showed up's fault, right? As a millennial, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Me and my people have ruined the world. We have no work ethic. We care for nothing but ourselves, and I'm really sorry. Those of you who are Gen Z, though, man, I'm upset with you. <laughs> right? We've got this habit of blaming whoever came after us for the idea that the world is deteriorating around us. But when you ask in those same surveys what these researchers found, if you ask about specifics, like, well, okay, so the morality of our culture is decaying. What about racism in America as it has to do with rights? Well, then people are like, well, no, I guess that has, I mean, since, gosh, since the 50s, it's certainly gotten better. When you ask about women's rights, it's the same sort of thing. When you talk about LGBTQ rights, it's the same sort of thing. Things are getting better, more just, more equitable. But even after asking those questions, if you say, but, well, is society still deteriorating? Well, even with all that data, those same people say, oh, to hell in a handbasket. Why do we do this? Um, one of my favorite authors I talk about too much is a guy named Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest, and he talks about how we have the bad habit of holding our joy lightly and clinging desperately to our despair. We hold our joy lightly and cling desperately to our despair. Do you, do you know what I mean when I say that? It's like, well, when something great happens, we always have to put a shadow to it. We do this in simple things, too. Like, I, I myself, have never once when someone said, uh, Patrick, man, that jacket is great. I am always like, oh, but it was $5 at the thrift store. I could never actually afford this jacket. <laughs> right? We, we spin it to make us diminish. We do that in simple things like with a jacket, but we do that in normal life too, where we, you know, we can say, you know, oh, it, it happened. Um, the, the last time rights were given to, to uh, lesbian and gay folks specifically to be able to marry same-gendered partners, we were like, wow, this is amazing, but look at this huge shadow over here. And we couldn't celebrate. We had to focus on the shadow. And then you wonder why people who are involved in any movement for justice get burnt out because we don't let ourselves be happy. Because our habit is to cling to the shadow rather than to hold fast to the joy. There's another lovely quote that I think just speaks so well to this. The, Tradition, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition reminds us of what we can be, 
helps us to see the habits of the past that have brought us to a place where we are now. Traditionalism keeps us stuck in the past, wishing things were like they were in some fictional fantasy of our experience that happened before. And for us as people of faith, we're called to live counter to the norms of our culture. When our world wants to tell us everything is decaying, everything is bad, our society is deteriorating in every facet and capacity, everything and everyone is going to hell and handbasket and there is no hope. As people of faith, we have an opportunity and a mandate to resist that in order to step forward into God's preferred future. Clinging not to despair, not to victimhood, not to blame, not to arrogance, not to any of these things, but instead clinging to deep-seated joy and the moments of light that break through the darkness, reminding us that God still is doing incredible things because it's true. God is still doing incredible things. Our obsession with death is so weird to me when we're just stepping into a summer where we saw resurrection happen around us just two months ago. What was dead is now alive. Many of us in this room have experienced incredible mental illness and addiction and loss, and we're here now because of the grace of God. And if you're stuck in one of those places, God is with you in it. That is what we say in our creed every single week. When humanity seems unworthy in every way, when the world seems to be decaying and falling apart in every facet, when everything that we hold dear seems to be crumbling around us, God still shows up. That's what we affirm every single time. And the only reason we're unable or unwilling to see the presence of God around us is because we've clung too tightly to the traditionalism of our past rather than learning from the traditions of our lived reality as a community of faith. Those are two distinct things. I know some of y'all in here can say amen to all of this. This is what new life is. When things fall apart, it's never the end of the story. When friends and family seemingly abandon you, God provides a way for you to find firm footing and ground underneath you to rebuild. Not to be what you were, but to become what you will be. This is what our faith in Christ is teaches us there is always something worth stepping forward for. So, and this is why I know, y'all, I know many of y'all are like, y'all, man, Patrick does not talk about scripture at all. This is all what Jesus is talking about in Mark's 
gospel. You heard Marilyn read it. The disciples are settling down to a meal around a table, very similar to the one that we'll share, where they'll be nourished. They're sharing with one another. They're living alongside one another. They're breaking down barriers and walls. And the religious folks who are stuck come to Jesus, and rather than asking questions about how they can partake in this good thing that God is doing, that the actual incarnated presence of God is doing in the world, they critique him for not washing his hands. Right? That's where we get stuck. The presence of God shows up and we're like, man, you're a little dirty. (laughs) I don't know I can share a loaf of bread with that. And then they don't see. Because they're stuck. Not in a tradition that draws them closer to the heart of God, but in a traditionalism that keeps them from even seeing God when God shows up. So I don't know what those things are in your life. I genuinely don't. I don't know what traditions or what experiences you hold so tightly that keep you from witnessing the presence of God. We all, we all, we all have them. And they don't diminish your worth They don't diminish the love that God pours out for you. None of that. None of the things that get in your way keep you from being abundantly loved by God. But what they do is they keep us from experiencing the abundant love of God. They keep us from witnessing the presence of Christ in front of us. They keep us from being able to smile and and laugh even when the world seems so bleak. The walls and the barriers that we put up, are they, they're not the only things, but in many ways, they are the things that keep us from experiencing the love of God in Christ. And so whatever those things are, we have tools to dismantle them. <laughs> We're about to get really Wesley nerdy here, so just bear with me for a second. This isn't a Wesley thing, but it sort of is. Uh, Wesley, well, never mind. (laughs) In the Wesleyan tradition, there's the idea of a quadrilateral. Again, Wesley didn't come up with this, but we as Methodists like to claim that he came up with everything great in the world, and so this is one of those. It's the idea that when we come into one of those walls, where we feel like we aren't growing, where we feel like we don't know what the right step is, or we don't know where God's calling us to go, or we get some new, um, new information that rattles us to our core. Wesley, and many others before him, say that we should look first to use what's called the quadrilateral scripture. Does scripture have anything to say about this? Tradition, not traditionalism, but tradition. What has the wisdom of our past taught us about the whatever we may be experiencing right now? And our lived experience, and then using reason to piece those three things together. The trick with all of this is that it cannot be done by yourself. That's the trick. 
Many of us, especially in the 21st century, we look at the church. The church is the biggest barrier to everybody's spiritual life. Amen. We just get, we, we become our own blockade, right? Like when you look at the, I've talked about this before too, but when you look at the history of our Christian church, it sucks. It's like not good. It's bad. It's filled with violence and hatred and greed and power. And it's in many ways focused on all the wrong things. But, but, if that's the shadow, the light on the other side is the potential of what exists here. We know because of scripture that God's incarnated presence existed in Jesus the Christ and then expanded into Christ's followers, the community, the one holy apostolic and Catholic church, the unified universal, set-apart, traditional church. The group of people who devote their attention to the goodness of God rather than the evils of whatever our experience of the world is. Devotion to the potential for humanity rather than the deterioration of our moral society that devote themselves to joy even in the face of darkness and sadness. And it's only within a community of faith that we can hold those things firm because as I know from my own testimony of life, when you try to hold on to all of this by yourself, you find that God is no longer present and you're having to do it alone. We're not meant to live this life alone. We're meant to live it in community so that we can share the burdens of our lived experience and put our trust in something bigger than us that we cannot yet explain because God is still at work. That only happens in community when we can remind each other that goodness is still real, that the light is still breaking into the darkness, that justice is still reigning even when it seems like everything is falling apart. It can only happen in communities. And for you, I, personally, I hope that can happen in a place like North Decatur. But even if it can't happen here, I hope that you're building it. A community of trust, love, and grace where you can hold scripture, our good traditions, our experiences of life beside one another, and our reason held together with prayerful guidance from God in order to take the right steps forward. That's what the whole life of faith is about. It's really that simple and that complicated. And so I just invite you to take your next step on the journey and talk to the people who matter to you about where you are. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.